Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitudes mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sober Gratitude's podcast. My name is Sarah, and I'm so grateful you stopped in to listen today to another incredible story of recovery. I am so grateful and incredibly honored to have Jay Barnard of chefrecovery.com on my podcast for episode 20. You will hear his unbelievably extraordinary journey in active drug and alcohol addiction, prison time, several suicide attempts, and how he finally got sober. You will be blown away with how he turned his life around. Now, 12 years clean and sober, he runs a successful company working as the CEO and corporate chef at Freshwater Cuisine in Keewatin, Ontario in Canada. When he's not running his business, he dedicates much time to his program of recovery, helping newcomers. He extends his service work beyond the recovery rooms by traveling all over Canada, sharing his incredible transformative life story. Please visit his website, chefrecovery.com, to see where he has shared his story of hope. I was on the edge of my seat listening to this powerful story, and I am confident you will be as well. 
Thank you, Jay, for taking the time to join my podcast family and helping me to share and celebrate the hope in recovery. Jay? Hi. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm just in my truck on my uh, on my uh, Bluetooth. Can you hear me fine? Yeah, this is great. Good. I just wanted to be somewhere nice and quiet so I don't get bothered. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Anchor is so great because we can basically be on the moon and do a recording. <laughs> That's a good place to be, too, on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> you know. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy things we're going through right now. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, Jay, thank you. I'm so glad that you're here to record for an episode today. You're just an um, amazing guy, and I can't wait for the listeners to learn more about you, uh, especially your journey in, into recovery. Um, Jay is from Kenora, Ontario, and that is that is, now is that in relation to New York City? Tell me again what like time zone you're in. So, uh, Kenora, Ontario, Canada is, uh, two hours east of Winnipeg, Manitoba. So we're on central time. Central time. Okay. Gotcha. All right. And you've been there your whole life? Yeah, I was, uh, born and raised here. Uh, and then, uh, through my act of addiction, I decided to do the geographical cure many times, but, uh, (laughs) I ended up coming back. So. You always come back home, eh? Like, that's just how it is. Yeah. I did I did the same thing. I swore I would never come back to the town I live in. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's funny, eh? When you're, an, when you're an addict and an alcoholic, how it's like you blame the city or the blame the town that you're in because, you know, it's the town or the city that's going to, you know, they're the ones that are, are against you. And you're, they're the ones that, you know, <laughs> meantime, you know, I'm my own problem. So it doesn't matter if I'm in Kenora, New York, Philadelphia, Winnipeg, I, wherever I go, I got to go. Exactly. I love how we do that. Like we are all like, oh, it's this person's fault or that place fault or that institution's fault. Nothing's my <laughs> fault. <laughs> That's but... a beautiful thing about running, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, Jay, um, tell us a little bit how you got to day one of sobriety. Like what what led up to that? Well, uh, well, I used for uh, the better part of 18 years. Um, you know, it, it's obviously addiction always starts way back when you're a kid, right? So m- my dad was an alcoholic. My grandma was an alcoholic. It was just the, the things that I saw. The You know, my mother just tried to keep the family together. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I, I have memories of, like, my dad being drunk and hitting me with a shovel and stuff like that. So there's things that, you know, abuse and... And the alcoholism was just surrounded around me. I mean, you know, even when I look at my name today, you know, J. Adam Dale, I was born J. Adam Dale Corey. And Adam was my dad's first son that burnt in a fire. And then Dale is my uncle Dale, who was the president of the Hell's Angels. And when I was born, he was in jail. So, you know, it was kind of one of these things that maybe I was set up to be <laughs> set up to be one of these people. But, um, or it was already engraved in me. Um, and, and it was just the dysfunction of, of the family, right. Of the alcoholism and, and, and just always seen it. There's always moves. Um, you know, I, I, you know, one real dramatic part of my life I remember is, you know, my dad left a jerry can beside the furnace and it burnt our house down. I think I was about seven or eight years old. 
uh, and we lost everything. And, uh, you know, as a kid, that's, that's pretty dramatic uh, yeah. to lose everything and not, then we had to move into, to a hotel motel and, you know, we we're living in this little motel hotel and could just tell that, uh, could just tell that the, you know, <clears throat> the relation mother and father wasn't the greatest. Right. And as a kid, you kind of like take that on, like it's your fault. You know, it's like for the longest time, I, I always thought that it was my fault that my mother and father got a divorce and it was my fault that all these things were happening. It was my fault because I came into the world and it was my fault, you know, and as a kid, uh, as a kid, you, you just take those things on and I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but it's just, it's, it was how it was. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, we ended up moving into this brand new house that got built. And, and then shortly after that, we moved again. And then my mother and father got a divorce. And that's kind of really where my life kind of <clears throat> was lost because a, I mean, as as a boy, as a boy too, you you look up to your father, right? And um, my father was never really truly there because he had alcoholic and drug addiction problems, and uh, you know he said he'd be somewhere and then he'd never show up, or you know it'd always be my mother and and the the one that you know my grandfather was really my father, and that was my my mother's dad, and um. You know, he was the guy that always took me fishing and he was the guy that I always, you know, we played adult and child darts and he always come to the baseball practices and, you know, he, he was the guy that was there. He was kind of like my rock. Right. But as a boy, uh, as a young boy and as a man, you, you look up to your father uh, and and, you know, I, because my father had let me down so many times, I just couldn't trust men. And uh, it was a difficult thing for me going through going through my childhood life because I couldn't you know if I can't trust my father I can't really trust anybody else right so I had a hard time with friends and I was really a loner and uh being a loner just kind of let me stay inside my own mind right and uh I was a bigger kid I you know my first addiction was food I got addicted to food and that's kind of how I killed the pain after the divorce I just keep eating food eating food eating food eating food uh, to a point of, of getting, you know, extremely big and, you know, getting called all kinds of names, you know, and being the last guy picked in school, you know, everybody would get picked in there. And I'd be the last one. And you could see in the kid's face that nobody wanted me, but they had to have me because, you know, so it was always, always this feeling of not being mm -hmm. enough uh, and, and, and not being enough really played with my self-esteem, really played with my, uh, confidence really played with with everything right I, I just didn't believe in myself um and shortly after the food uh, obviously a lot of people don't want to talk about this but uh, it's part of my story uh, obviously porn came into play and I got lost into into this world of of sex at a very young age which just kind of took away my world <clears throat> and uh, I didn't have to think about what was in front of me I didn't have to think about what was around me I didn't have to think about what my family was doing I didn't have to think about anything. And as a loner, it kind of just, I was just there. Right. And, uh, it, it just kind of took away the noise from all around the outside. But what I didn't understand about that and what I was doing at that time was it really distorted the relationships that I was going to go into as a younger, as an older child, like a teen years, uh, with females, uh, trying to have relationships with them going through what I was going through. Right. Um, and then, uh, then my mom got remarried and uh, 
that's where Jay Barnard came on. And that was in grade three when I failed grade three. So in grade three, I was Jay Corey failed grade three, came back Jay Barnard. Um, so now I'm fighting this identity problem also. So all the kids the year before knew me as Jay Corey and all of a sudden I failed and now all of a sudden I'm Jay Barnard. Um, and so in the, in the early, in the late eighties, you know, a lot of people looked down on that. They didn't understand that they had the perfect families. Everything stayed in the closet kind of thing. Right. And, uh, he kind of looked, you were, you were, you were the guy that was different. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and, and then I just lost who I was. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was going. Uh, my school fell. Um, somehow I managed to get into grade seven and I excelled. And I, I think I just purely excelled because that's all I had. I, I was most improved grade seven. I became a bookworm. I basically became this nerd. Um, and from there, I, from there, that's when I found alcohol and, and I found alcohol at the age of 12. And, uh, that's when my whole life changed. I found something that I could fall in love with. And uh, that first drink just took away everything, took away the pain, took away the anxiety, took away the depression, took away the confusion, took away who I had to be. Uh, it all of a sudden allowed me to put on masks, uh, these masks that I could manipulate, cheat, lie, steal, use. Uh, it, it allowed me to get away from the broken child who was inside that I didn't really want to look at because I was too scared of. Um, and I didn't want to look at the past. And it just allowed me to be somebody that, became popular because right after drinking came drugs and once the drugs came i i started selling drugs and uh, that's how i supported my habit and uh you know once i was able to sell drugs that's when i became popular and that's when i didn't have to be anybody else um and that's when the females and 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 you know i could have whatever i wanted to have and um at a very young age it was really it really taught me a distorted life it really taught me a way that uh, it's survival. Yep. Um, you know, my uncle, my uncle was part of that, that world his whole entire life. And that's how I got into it. And, and, you know, my uncle was my role model and I looked up to him and I wanted to be just like him. And uh, wherever he was, I traveled and uh, <clears throat> um, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to, I wanted to use the most drugs. I wanted to snort the most drugs. I wanted to, get the highest i wanted to be the drunkest i wanted to have the hottest girlfriend i wanted to have the fastest car i wanted to have all this money i wanted to um i wanted to use and abuse my body till no end and uh you know years and years and years and went on like that and then the hard drugs came along and the hallucinogenics and uh the mushrooms and the acid and um and just you know going to going to school and, and selling drugs to the kids at school and you know making thousands of dollars at school selling drugs and and not going to school to get them kicked out to it's just complete mayhem and, and insanity and dysfunction um but i didn't know any yeah. other way I, I didn't know any other way i didn't have any guidance i didn't have any i really didn't feel i had a purpose i mean i i did find cooking and that, that's a huge part of my yeah. story uh, how, how cooking has, has saved my life more than once. Uh, obviously food has killed me more than once, but cooking has saved my life. Uh, and, and I found, uh, cooking at a, at, at the age of 13, you know, my first job was at chicken delight and, uh, 
you know, from there I went to Pizza Hut and I did the the fast food chains and, and stuff like that. But I was always surrounded around, you know, even I, I remember even just being in so much pain working at Pizza Hut and, and you know, I just got high down in the basement and, uh, you know, coming upstairs and just making pizza and being in this place of like, hey, I belong, right? Because I'm with food and I can relate with food and I'm making this picture of this pizza and, you know, I'm putting my pain and my agony and my frustrations and my and my uh, love and passion into a pizza that somebody's going to buy. And uh, what I didn't realize then is that was going to turn into my career. Um, and uh, sh- shortly after 17, 18, that's when I, when I found cocaine. And uh, that's when, that's when life really, uh, <clears throat> really took off in a way that I never thought was possible. Um it was just one of those things that uh, grabbed hold of me, and uh, the the money the money I could make, and how long I could stay up, and the different circle of people I was in, and how I could get women addicted to it, and they'd do whatever I wanted, and um, how I became this bully, and um, became mean, and. Uh, but what I didn't understand all those years is I was just running away from me, right? Like I could never just, I could just never sit in my own thoughts. I could just never just stop and sit and just be happy with Jay. Um, you know, cause Jay never really gave Jay a chance and because Jay never got right. a chance, Jay taught that he couldn't give himself a chance. So there was no hope for giving me a chance because I didn't know what chance was. I didn't know what hope was. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I just, I just knew how to be self-sabotaging and destructive and mean and, you know, rip apart everything and um, lie, cheat, steal, manipulate. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I had got busted for the first time in uh, 20, uh, 2000. 2001, 2000, 2001 was the first time I, I got busted uh, by the police with an investigation. And uh, it had been 10 years of uh, from 13 or eight years of selling drugs before they even got up to me. Um, wow. But it was one of those things because the minute that I hit the cocaine, then the crack came. So um, it's just it's just a whole different world. And, and you live to use and use to live. And, um, I became very paranoid and just, just an easy target for the police. And that's kind of how it goes. Right. And, um, anyways, they got me with a pound of weed and they got me with two ounces of cocaine and I swallowed a couple pieces of crack and I ended up doing jail time for my first time. And, uh, the funny thing about jail was that I, I, I felt like it was a vacation. Um, and it was like, I got these three square meals a day. Uh, I brought drugs in with me, so I was selling drugs in there. Um, so, so it was like it, it was like life never changed, mm. and I didn't I didn't know how to change it. Um, and the strange thing was, is there's all these people around me that were trying to tell me you need to change, you need to change, and 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 trying to give me the help. And if you're not wanting the help, you can't hear the help. And uh, you know, maybe you hear it, but you don't want to hear it. And, uh, you, you just say, no, you're the problem, not me. And, uh, that was the part I never understood. Right. So I was always pointing the finger at other people. And in the meantime, three fingers were pointing back at me. 
Uh, so <laughs> if three fingers are pointing at me, I must be the problem if only one finger is pointing at them. Um, that's right. I have to. And that's kind of. So go, go ahead. Yep. No, I was just going to say, like, I'm on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> um, I am, like, blown away by your story so far. So I'm so eager to hear about how you finally. Because like, you're obviously very different now and very successful, and the listeners will hear about your success um, shortly. Yep. But how yep. the heck did you finally change? Like, what? What? When did you get there? Well, it was just, it was just, it was just a matter of being sick and tired and sick and tired, right? And and that was when I got out of jail. I started doing the geographical cure, and like I said, I didn't understand that you know wherever Jay goes, Jay goes. So I didn't understand if I moved that I went there, right? So I just ended up finding the same crowds and doing the same things and the same cycle. And um, and it landed myself up in Sudbury, and then I landed myself up in Oshawa, then I landed myself up in Hamilton. And uh, in Hamilton, I, I, I found heroin and started using needles and, and doing heroin. And uh, I managed to find this business called Rising Above uh, DS Max, which was a door-to-door sales company. Uh, and I did very well at it. I, I got top sales guy three years in a row. Um, but I just couldn't let go of the using, right? Like the using just had me handcuffed. And uh, it was because of the pain. And uh, I, I didn't know how to work on the pain. And I didn't want to work on the pain. Um, and um, man, when, when I got into the heroin, it was just a whole different world. I started stealing meat off uh, at a grocery store, stealing purses off little old ladies on the streets. Um in Hamilton, I, I was just, I, I, I really, you know, now looking back on it, really understand what living to use and using to live is all about. Right. Um, I had to just kill the pain and it didn't matter if it was a little old lady's purse or a steak out of the store to sell it, to get it. I had to do it. And, uh, can I put a spotlight on one sentence you said that I think is really important for our listeners to hear is you referenced, you kept using because of the pain. I want to put I want to put a spotlight on that. And can you just say more about the pain? Like, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, it's just it just the, the the pain on the inside of of the destruction of what happened to me as a child, right? So it was just I never I had all these series of events that happened. And I just didn't know how to deal with mm-hmm. them. So when you don't deal with things, that just compounds pain. And more pain compounds more pain. And if you can't deal with something, then you just keep stuffing it down. So then you got to figure out a way how to kill that pain. So pain is emotion. And, you know, so if you're, if you're stuck in emotion, so there's thoughts and there's emotion, right? And it's the outside world that brings in the thoughts and the emotion. But if you can't deter the two between emotion and thoughts, now you're just left with a pile of pain. And uh, how do you get rid of pain? You just, for me, I just continued to use and, and, through Hamilton and then I finally got my stuff together a bit I got off the heroin but still used everything else and I ended up growing growing this team and they ended up promoting me out to Barry and I had a company called Rising Above Vendors Everywhere and <clears throat> the problem was is I was very self-centered selfish and, and I had an ego uh, and it was all about me um, I ended up losing that business in 2005 and uh, in 2005 I tried committing suicide back-to-back times the pain was just so bad that uh I felt like I was a burden to society. I thought I was a burden to my family. I thought I was a burden to uh, to anybody around me. I had no friends. I I had just lost my business with my partner. Um, I, I didn't know where to go. Um, and I thought, like, I thought 
in my own mind because the pain was so bad is the only way to get rid of this pain is to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what it brought me to. And, and, uh, and uh, I, I ended up taking these green pills. I, I took 12 of them, snorted one. The girl I was seeing, seeing at the, I still don't know what these pills were at this time, but the girl I was seeing at the time, uh, she left me because I became very abusive and uh, I had not seen her for, for a couple of weeks and she found me in a pile of black puke, barely breathing outside on her doorstep, um, wow. which she, you know, she just showed up. So I, I don't know if that was a higher power hour or what, right? right? But there's all the, you know, like something intervened to tell her to come to the house. Um, anyways, and I got rushed to the hospital and they charcoaled me and brought me back. But what I will tell you is, you know, when you've made that decision to kill yourself and you fail at that, there's like nothing left in life. Like I, I didn't know how I didn't, I didn't, I I woke up in the hospital going like, I just failed at killing myself and I had already failed at life and I already failed at everything that was around me. And like, how, how am I going to pull myself out of this? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm, I'm just a big failure. And uh, they let me go three days later, and I went and got an ounce of crack and a, and a 60 of rye and went to down in her basement and hung a rope and tried hanging myself for 24 hours. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> every time I would put my head in there and smoke in the crack, I just kept saying this time, this time, this time. And at that point, I had been busted driving while under suspension for the fifth time. Uh, and was looking at some jail time and I was just going through the system with, you know, you know, continuing on with the, you know, next week I'll come to court kind of thing. And I just remember like, you know, being so messed up and like not being able to go off the chair when I had my head in the rope and it was just, and then all of a sudden I, you know, nine in the morning, I'm turning myself into the Barry police at the police station and I ended up getting a year in Penetang penitentiary. Uh, which saved my life. Um, and that was in 2005. I ended up moving back to Kenora and the cycle of addiction just continued um, all the way up to 2008. I ended up getting busted three more times with the possession of purposes of trafficking cocaine uh, through 2005 to 2008. But the, the last time I got busted in 2008, uh, and this is where the story of recovery starts. Um, so, I got busted and I just was in jail and uh, it was different. It wasn't like it was a vacation. It wasn't like, you know, I was sitting there going like, I'm 27 years old. This is what I got. I got jail. I don't got a bank account. I got all this debt. I don't have a family. I've tried killing myself. That didn't work. God doesn't love me. I've tried church. I don't have any girlfriend pushed everybody away. I don't even know who I am. I'm looking around all these people. Do I want to be these people? Like what's my life come to? And uh, I don't know if it was like a moment of clarity or or something, but um, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, for whatever reason, the judge was sick that day and I got the justice of the peace and the justice of the peace gave me bail. And uh, yeah, I never get bail. I, I would have, I was looking at five years in prison. And they gave me bail with a bunch of conditions. So the last time I had a drink was January 7th, 2008. That's when I got released. Uh, and then I used right up till February 10th, 2008. Um, and through that one month of using, I, I went and saw a counselor here in Kenora, Ontario. And she said, you got one house left on the block, which is treatment. 
I have this place in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada called the Salvation Army Anchorage Booth Center. It's an all-males program. I think you should go there. It's God-driven, and I think you're going to fail. And this is what she said to me, and I'm sitting there high, high, going, well, why are you sending me there? Like, I've already failed at everything in life. Like, I need, like, can't you tell I'm holding drugs in your, in your, <laughs> in, in your counseling office here? I need help. And uh, what I didn't understand then is that she was planting yeah. a seed. She planted the seed that you have to go there and you have to prove to yourself that you can be somebody. Um, and uh, I used right up till February 10th, 2008, and I hopped on a plane in Winnipeg and flew to Ottawa and started this journey of recovery February 11th, 2008, which is 12 plus years ago. And uh, I, I didn't I didn't know what recovery was. I didn't know what treatment was. It was the first time I ever entered treatment, so... I thought that treatment was like take a bunch of Oxycontins and sleep for four months and then I'll just go back to the cycle. <laughs> but um, what I didn't understand about treatment is when you go to treatment, you got to work on yeah. yourself. <laughs> and uh, what I didn't understand about life is you got to work on yourself. And what I didn't understand about life is in order to get rid of the pain, you got to work on yourself. And what I didn't understand about life is you have to accept things and you have to forgive yourself and you have to... You have to have compassion and love and you gotta you gotta really truly believe in yourself and you gotta look in the mirror and wave at yourself and when you're waving at yourself in the mirror you're waving at that broken child inside and you gotta just work on that little little person inside that was so damaged for so long right and uh it was like i got addicted to the program <laughs> right um I, I you know as addicts and alcoholics that's what we do um and uh, the, the one thing was about uh, was about me is I just couldn't admit, you know, I could admit that I was powerless, but I couldn't admit my life was unmanageable. That was a real struggle for me, and it was a real struggle for the first four months. Um, came down to a point in treatment where I left treatment, and uh, <clears throat> they had actually sent me home on May long weekend, this weekend coming up, actually paid my way said go home see your family i'm like i'm not going back to kenora i can't go back to kenora i'm gonna use and i was like 90 days right and they're like you're 90 days that's d-a-y-s-j not d-a-z-e and at the time i didn't understand what days and days <laughs> meant right so it was like yeah you're right days d-a-y-s right i'm not in a daze i can do this uh and you know so so really people places things how you look at things and how your outlook is is really important for a recovering alcoholic and addict and anybody else in the world that's trying to survive or get better at one day at a time right it's it's your outlook and words need to change and people need to change and places need to change and you just need to change um which is scary that's a really scary word change and uh i remember i came back home and uh it was the first time I saw my family loved me and, uh, you know, cause I was sober and, uh, I, I didn't understand what that was. I didn't understand. I knew they loved me my whole life, but I just never saw it because I was so messed up. And, uh, you know, they, they were, they were very skeptical. I mean, it, only, it was only 90 days and I, this is the first time I ever tried this. And, uh, um, you know, I remember my grandpa driving me around and, seeing things in Kenora that I'd never seen before. I'd been here for 28 years. And I'm like, when did that get here? And he was like, Jay, that's been here your whole life. But I was so messed up that I never even realized that there's landmarks in Kenora because that's not what I looked at. And, 
it's kind of funny where the addiction yeah. takes you, right? And uh, anyways, I went back to Ottawa and I was on this pink cloud and uh, pink cloud means everything's going to be okay. And uh, I got this wonderful life and I got 90 DAYSs, not DAZEs. And I can go back to Kenora and my family loves me. I'll get a job. I'll start you right. Typical, <laughs> typical 90 yep. days, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, anyways, I crashed and uh, I found myself, uh, I found myself at a, at a pool hall down on Elgin street. And I knew because I knew I was a problem. If, if you would ask me if I wanted to drink, I'd say yes. Cause then you would be the problem. Right. So then I would blame you for my relapse, not knowing that it's a series of events that happened before I pick up. Cause it's not like, I'm just going to go pick up. There's got to be a series of events that happen before I say, okay, I'm going to drink or use. It's not just like, I'm going to go to the liquor store today because I want to drink. That's not how that works. Right. There's a series of events that happen to make you go over the edge as an addict and alcoholic in recovery to go drink or go use. Um, and, uh, so I went in there and, uh, you know, nobody, no, it, it, it was, it was like, I was, I was like, I was selling drugs again and everybody was a narc watching me because I knew I was doing something wrong. Right. And, uh, anyways, I left there, went back to treatment next day, did the same thing, felt the same way. So I did it three times. The third day I went there and I went and asked for a Budweiser and I was, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw bus 11 and I dropped the beer, ran, caught the bus and got back to treatment. And, uh, funny thing about that is when I was when I was doing a hope in the city in Thunder Bay about three or four years ago, I was sitting in the hotel room thinking about everything. And I was like, Hey, bus 11, my clean dates, February 11th. Did God send that bus to help me not drink that day? Right. And I haven't really thought about it any more than that, but I was like, it kind of like this whole thing. I was like, wow, that's strange. Right. So then I started seeing these cool things start kind of happening. Right. And, uh, Anyways, I get back to treatment. I yell at the, the counselor. I tell her I'm leaving. I go to the airport, pay 40 bucks, sit in the bar. Nobody wants to give me, the waitresses wouldn't even give me a drink. They wouldn't even ask me if I wanted anything. It was the weirdest. It was the weirdest wow. thing ever. Got back in the cab, back to the treatment center and uh, was yelling and screaming at her. And she said, I want you to go upstairs and write down everything you've changed. And I told her, you know, F you, I've changed everything. And she said, well, if you have a problem, ask the people in the treatment center. And at this point, my anger had really, I didn't know what to do with my anger. So that was really what was running my, my whole entire life every day is, is my anger. Um, I, I, my anger was fueling everything I was doing, right? And I didn't know how to channel that. And I didn't know how to work on it. <clears throat> and anyways, I went upstairs and I wrote down two things. Uh, <laughs> I'm clean and sober. And I'm going to meetings. And I was like, how can this possibly be? Like, I've been here for over 90 days. How's, how am I only coming up with these two? Like, what is going on? I'm a failure again, right? And this all just falls right back onto I'm not enough. And, uh, you know, so I went around to the treatment center and asked some people that I was, you know, I'd, I'd gotten fights with a couple of people. And, of course, they would say, yeah, Jay, you changed. And they'd run away from me. So what's that? That's just self-gratification right away. It's like taking a, a hit of crack, right? self gratitude yeah i knew i changed right and then i had that ego again and and then the counselor that was there she said uh, jay look at yourself you're running around a treatment center asking people if you've changed and at that moment recovery truly hit me at that moment i knew that my self-centeredness my selfishness and my ego were running my whole entire life 
I could never hear what anybody was trying to say to me. I could never hear the help that was coming my way. I could never ask for the help that I really truly needed. And uh, it was a moment of like, when you hear your head pop out of your, you, you know what, of like, uh, holy cow, what have I been yeah. doing? And uh, <clears throat> I went downstairs and bagged to stay in that treatment center. And she said, you're going to do it my way. And uh, I said, okay. And that night was the first night because they had, because Salvation Army is God driven. And I love the Salvation Army for everything they've done for me and uh, continue to do for me uh, to this day uh, on a line of support uh, with all kinds of things. I've got a real close connection with them and their family and, and how much they love and care about me, even 12 and a half years later. Um, but I went upstairs and did something for the first time in my life, which was prayer. And I think this is a really important part of where my transition came um, and how my soul changed. Uh, this prayer came out of me from nowhere. Uh, I think it just had been going to all the meetings and kind of like being a sponge in it sponge and absorbing things but really not thinking I was right and uh anyways I got on my hands and knees and this prayer came out God give me the strength courage hope and faith I need keep believing in me trusting me having faith in me keep loving and caring about me unconditionally give me patience tolerance understanding forgiveness compassion and acceptance of other people's struggles along with my own let me love myself like myself care about myself enough to move forward in a positive direction let me be comfortable with who I am and what I'm doing. Let me live in the day of the moment to live on life's terms. My Lord, I turn my will and my life over to the care of you today and guide me in my recovery. Never give up. Keep living the dream. And uh, that came out of nowhere. Wow. Um, wow. I woke, I woke up the next morning and I had this smile on my face. And, uh, and uh, recovery really, truly started for me at uh, just over four months and um, I really grasped to the program I really grasped to working working the steps to get me better and become a better person I uh, I ended up staying at the treatment center an extra month uh, because they called it graduation and for me you know I, I didn't like the word graduation because every time I thought of graduation I thought of like I'd go drink and use right and so I had to think of a new word and I thought of the word transitioning and that's really what I was doing. I was transitioning myself into society. I was transitioning myself to be a better person. I was transitioning myself to learn how to do laundry, pay rent, get bills, get credit, get a job, you know, be a productive member of society. Uh, and that's what I used. I used the word transitioning and uh, I transitioned into the Liberty House, which is a second stage home uh, where I stayed for a year and uh <clears throat> The guy that was there uh, is my best friend. His, his name is Bob. And Bob gave me and taught me all the tools of recovery. He taught me about having a toolbox in recovery. He taught me about a relapse, how it's not a relapse. It's a series of events that happen before you use. It's not like you're just going to go pick up. He taught, me of, he taught me the importance of love for yourself. And he taught me the importance of believing. And he taught me the importance of giving back. Um, and, and when you give back, not only are you giving to yourself, but you're giving to others and you're giving others hope. Uh, and then that hope from that person goes to somebody else. And when you can help yourself, that's when you're helping somebody else. And when that person helps somebody else, they help somebody else. And uh, that's the beautiful thing about recovery. And uh, I, I stayed at the, 
I stayed at the 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 Liberty House for uh, just over a year. But at nine months, that's when I was looking at that five years in prison because, you know, Judge Frazier allowed me to go to Ottawa to the treatment center. And, you know, when I was in the Liberty House, I had talked with Bob and, you know, I had come to the, I'd come to a place of peace that, you know what, if I go to jail for five years, I'll get good, good time. They'll do three years. I'll get out of jail. I'll have just over, you know, I'll have almost four years clean and sober, uh, you know, I did the crime. I got to do the time. I'm not running away from this. Uh, I got a man up. This is what I did. Uh, in order for me to move on in my recovery and move on in my life, I got to take care of the past. And that was a big piece of the past. And uh, I, uh, I I left Ottawa and went back for my court date. And, uh, you know, Judge Frazier was like, mm-hmm. where's Jay? And I was like, you know, he's like the guy that's yellow and gray and screaming and ripped clothes and disrespectful and mean and angry and you know he's like you're wearing a suit you're saying yes sir no sir you're you're polite you're you know you got color it looks like you're moving forward you're you know he said I've never seen anybody work so hard in their life to get their life back in nine months and I mean this guy had seen me for the better part of 18 years in and out of the system and uh, he threw me in jail a few times and uh that five-year sentence turned into 18 months wow. probation. And uh, and Judge Frazier allowed me to go back to Ottawa to uh, follow my dream of being a chef. And uh, I was enrolled in Algonquin College. And um, it was the first time in my life that uh, I realized if, you're help, if you help yourself, other people will help you. And uh, the judicial system is the same way. If you help yourself those people will help you be successful and uh god bless him today because he he's not around but you know he he was a real important part on why i am where i am today and uh you know even all the times he threw me in jail to him giving me this chance 18 months to come back and follow my dream to be a chef and uh that's when i when i came back to ottawa and i just dove into the dove into being a chef I had to learn everything about food. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to create these plates. And at that time, I was kind of mixed up as to who I, because I was just trying to figure out who I am, right? And I was calling myself the recovering chef then. And my pastry chef at the time, Simone Choi, uh, at Algonquin College, she said, you know, Jay, why don't you call yourself Chef Recovery? And uh, this was in 2009. And I was like, Chef Recovery? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a chef in recovery. And I'm like, I've had this backwards, right? Because I was like, recovering chef, that didn't sound so good. And I was like, wow, I can brand chef recovery. I can, I can like be a voice for people that are in recovery and show them that I'm going to do things with food. Um, and uh, that's kind of when it all took off for me. And uh, I ended up graduating graduating college, uh, getting my red seal, uh, started working in the hotels around Ottawa. Um, stayed in Ottawa for a while and then, uh, met my, my second fiance. It didn't work out. And, uh, that's, uh, um, I got addicted to, so this is, this is the interesting thing about recovery and, uh, around three years, clean and sober I ended up getting myself back into some uh, illegal activity along with gambling 
Um, and it, it proved to me back then that, uh, you know, we're given a gift. This is a gift. Um, not all of us get it. Um, but the ones that do get this gift, we need to be holding this gift as close as we can to us because we can lose this gift in the blink of an eye. Um, and that's how, like, I guess what happened is I just got bored of the programs, right? And I just got bored of the justifying what I was doing, right? Which uh, really taught me something, and uh, I ended up uh, I ended up losing seventy thousand dollars in the casino, and uh, I, I guess I was just basically kind of stuck, right? Sick and kind of stuck, and uh, they call okay. it stagnant, right? The thing, uh, the thing about recovery is if you're not working on yourself on a daily basis, then you get stuck and then you start going backwards, not forwards. And that's what happened. And, um, anyways, I ended up, uh, moving to Fort McMurray and, uh, life really took off for me. Then I got a job at, uh, at, uh, at one of the mines. And then I took a job at Keanu college in this catering company and, uh, that's when I truly knew I had a voice. I, I started opening up about my, and I was about four and a half, five years sober. So, you know, about seven years ago, I really started opening up uh, about my story, about who I was, about my truths, about my failures, not painting the picture that recovery was perfect because it's not. Um, there's a lot of good things that come with recovery, but it's life, life on life's terms. Right. So, um, you know, and, and then all of a sudden Fort McMurray kind of just like grasped on to this, this, this guy, because, you know, it's Fort McMurray strong. And here I am sharing my story with Shaw and, you know, we're this catering company and I'm starting to get these really big celebrities come through our catering company, like Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, William Shatner and Snoop Dogg, Randy Travis and, and the original five and, Leonardo DiCaprio. I just started doing all these amazing things with these celebrities, which just brought my celebrity up a whole bunch, uh, thanks to my recovery. Um, but through that, they realized that I was this addict that was clean and sober, and that I was doing that, and that I had this voice, and that I was able to to help others if I was given the platform. Um, and, and that's uh, that's when I just really cranked it wide open and just. Anywhere and everywhere that I could go and speak, um, I just did. Uh, I didn't care where it was. I didn't care. I just needed the message of hope and that sharing saves lives. Um, the true secret to, to staying clean and sober and the true secret to becoming a better person is sharing your story and your truths and being open and honest to, to, to you know, thoroughly, openly and honest. And, uh, to me, that's Sharon saves lives. And um, I stayed in Fort Mac for, for four years. Uh, and then I met my third fiance, Julie, and uh, had an opportunity to move back home. So this is the first time I had moved back to Kenora in seven years. Uh, I hadn't lived in Kenora. Uh, I ended up doing a TEDx talk in, in Fort McMurray called Living the Dream, Never Giving Up. Um, so I had a... I started to get this, uh, I don't know, I don't want to call it celebrity chef, but uh, there was something coming along with it all. And um, and then I had this opportunity to open this restaurant in Kenora. And uh, 
Julie, Julie and her daughter Shanika were in Kenora, so it, it was the best move for, for me to make at the time. Um, and uh, on the way back to Kenora, when I was moving the second day, Julie let me knew that <laughs> let oh. me know that we were pregnant. Yeah. Um, so so on my way back to Kenora, uh, that I hadn't lived there in seven years, so I was already like you know, second guessing myself about moving home and am I going to use, even though I got, you know, seven years clean and sober, am I going to hang around the same people? I've never lived there. I went there for vacation. I'd leave, uh, you know, all these things. I got to be successful because I'm opening up this restaurant. I can't be a failure. I've been this guy for so long that I can't fail. Um, I really never let, lived with Julie because we did the fly in, fly out thing for the better part mm -hmm. of seven, nine months. So now I'm going to live with this girl that I hadn't lived with. I uh, kind of knew her daughter, but I didn't. And I loved her daughter like she was my own Shanika. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'm leaving Saskatchewan and I find out we're pregnant. Um, and I'm like, holy cow. Like, uh, um, what, what, what is going on? And, uh, you know, I, I, I pulled over and, and thought and was like, uh, was like, uh, you know, I, uh, I got to do this and, uh, I can't run anymore. I got to go home and, and see if I can be successful and uh, I'm going to be successful because I'm successful and because I believe in myself and because I have the help and because I have the support and because I have the love and, um, and I ended up opening up the restaurant and then all of a sudden all this media just came like storming through because as the kid that came back and became somebody and um, became like this Northwestern Ontario celebrity. And then all of a sudden I started getting all these speaking engagements and um, then Julie and I had our daughter and, you know, I almost, I, I almost lost Julie, Julie and Des, that okay. her name is destiny. Um, so we, you know, we got rushed to Winnipeg and, and when we had to have a C-section and uh, when they went to cut, they nailed an artery. Julie almost bled to death and destiny came out dead. And wow. You know, and, and, and Shanika was just like in there saying, if it's a boy, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And, you know, I'm just like, Holy cow, where's all this coming from? And, and uh, you know, at that moment I knew why we were calling her destiny and uh, you know, I'm on a destiny. And, uh, um, everybody got better and we came back to Kenora and everybody's healthy and I opened up the rest. Or, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Then I, uh, then, so two weeks before Christmas and two weeks after having destiny, the restaurant calls me up and they fire me on a rumor of me opening up my own restaurant. So I almost lose destiny and Julie then I go back to my job and they say you're fired. And that was two weeks after having destiny two weeks before Christmas. And, uh, I was in Kenora and I was like, okay, well, if there's any time that I'm going to go out now's the time, like, I don't know how much more I can handle. Uh, and at this time, this is when my, my, the business I have today, freshwater cuisine was just getting started. That was in 2015, 2016. And, uh, um, and, and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to start my own business. And my business, Freshwater Cuisine, is just like me. Underutilized, undervalued, unappreciated. And that's how I looked at myself my whole entire life was underutilized, undervalued, and unappreciated. Um, 
And so I took my business, Freshwater Cuisine, and I took my my character, Chef Recovery, and I put them both together and created this amazing business. And uh, in 2017, we ended up getting one in five top businesses in all of Ontario for a leader wow. in innovation, um, presented by the premier, Kathleen Wynn at the time. I ended up getting uh, one, one in 40 First ever rural Ontario best, best business. Um, ended up getting a one in four, uh, one in twenty under forty, for a leader in business. Um, I got the project of the year for the utilization of one hundred percent of our raw natural resource, which is we've come up with a liquid fish fertilizer that's completely organic. Um, so, you know. I've been very blessed. I mean, Julie and I aren't together today. We went through a separation um, okay. uh, two years ago. Uh, but, you know, we try our best for the kids. The kids are, uh, you know, my, 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 my kids' destiny and Shanika mean the world to me. And uh, I don't want to see our kids go through what her and I went through. So, uh, you know, we I try to be an adult in the situation. And as in recovery, I just try and do the right thing for my kids. So... Uh, Julie, you know, Julie and I are still, still, uh, still on good terms. Uh, we have our moments, but we do the best for our kids. And I think that's all that, uh, anybody could ever ask if you go through a separation or a divorce, I see way too many people, you know, fighting and, you know, the kids yeah. are the ones that suffer and, uh, you know, they shouldn't suffer. Uh, they're the ones that should get the love and support and right. care no matter what goes on. And you surely know that um, because that's what and, you uh, had to deal with when you were a little. Right. And that's why I don't want it to happen to my kids. And uh, so I try really hard. Um, I try really hard to to do the right thing for the kids uh, and also try really hard to do the best for Julie. It's um, uh, Ashley and Ashley's in the program. She just celebrated eight months. Uh, and we created a thing called Recovery Couple, where every Sunday night we go on Facebook and we share our stories of recovery. And, um, you know, I had skated away from people in the program because I didn't want, you know, to be with somebody that was like me. But what I've realized is having somebody like me in my life really makes my life better. Um, and for a long time, I had it backwards. I thought having somebody that was like me would make me different, would, wouldn't work. And uh, so I always dated people that weren't like me. <laughs> And the problem is, is they truly don't understand me. And how could they ever understand me from an addict and alcoholic, depression, anxiety side of the world if that's not what they go through? And if, you know, they're, they can manage their drinking and using, I can't. I mean, I was given a seat in, in the program and that seat's still there. They don't know what that seat is and uh, they don't understand that seat. And uh, uh, I can't expect them to understand that seat because that's not what they deal with. But when you're with somebody that actually understands it, you don't manipulate anymore. You don't cheat. You don't lie. You don't steal. Um, and you can actually build a really good relationship. And, uh, you know, I'm forever grateful that she came along, uh, that we did create Recovery Couple. Uh, Ashley celebrating eight months. It's her second time in the program. Um, I've seen a whole bunch of change in her just in the short amount of time we've been together, which is coming on four months. Um you know, and she, she understands the gift, right? This is a gift. 
we're given this gift so freely for all the all the garbage yeah. that we went through in our life in order to get a life um and the gift that's given to us is the hope to share our stories to help somebody else that's struggling and if if we can just you know crack our voice and uh find the courage and get away from the fear to share our truths to help that one person that's home alone especially now in these times with COVID-19 uh, isolation is a bad one and that's not really good for drug yeah. addicts alcoholics people with anxiety depression bipolar uh, so it we need to we need to be no, sharing sir. our stories as much as we can <laughs> I did a talk show last night I'm I'm trying to share as much as I can uh, freely openly uh, I I just I just want people to know they're not alone and you know we're in this together uh, we all struggle, but together we can. Alone we fall, and uh, you know if together we can. Alone we fall. Say that one more time. What you just said. Together we can. Alone we fall. I love that. You know, Jay, I I am blown away by your story. I'm just I, I kind of had my mouth open, at, sitting at the edge of my seat the entire time. You know, hearing about all that you went through and everything that you consumed <laughs> every toxic drug imaginable and um other addictions as well you know obviously somebody up there your higher power felt that you were a life worth saving you know the times that you you shared about trying to hang yourself for 24 hours i'm I, i'm just blown away i just and here you are spending your life sharing your story like you just did just now and with you know on ted talks and everywhere you know you are helping people every day and and you know that's why i started this podcast because i want i want people to know that life a, a good life a better life is possible when we put down the drugs and alcohol or any other kind of addiction and we face we face the pain like you talked about, I, I really want to drive that home that, you know, underneath the using, underneath the consumption, you know, that there's, I know for myself, I numbed so much uh, emotion, so much pain that I just didn't give any um, attention to. And, you know, that's where I can identify with you, Jay. You know, our stories are totally different, but I get it when, um, you know, it can be easier when we anesthetize ourselves, right? But then, well, but that's then it the goes, that's the thing, right? Spirals that, downward, you know, and we... to be honest, the drugs and alcohol aren't the problem. We're we're our own problem, right? We just go use to numb yeah. out the pain. So, you know, when yep. you can get to a place of acceptance, and that's what you got to truly do. And and this is what Ashley's caught on to. You know, this, like I said, this is the first time I ever got clean and sober. And by the grace of God, I'm still clean and sober. So. Uh, you know, the statistics aren't that high for, you know, people staying clean and sober. And, you know, that's why me and you are out here doing what we do um, to show that there is a life worth living. But, you know, yeah. you got to have true acceptance of who you are. And you also got to not have any reservations to go use. Right. A lot of us would have maybe one day I can go have one, you know, but like, OK, so maybe one day. Have you ever been able to have you ever been able to have one like 
has that ever happened? Has that ever happened? <laughs> like, right? Like, so Not me. that's kind of like, that's kind of like where I, you know, like with Ashley and, and, and everybody that I, you know, and that's what I, you got to have complete acceptance and you got to love yourself. And, you know, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, you know, I love you today, Jay. And, uh, you know, recovery is not always easy. Um, you know, it's, it's not. And, uh, no, I yeah, the thing is, is we're just trying every single it. day to but be okay. It, right. Right. Like, I just want to be okay today. That's not a hard thing to do. Right. Like, I want to be okay today. So how do I be okay? I got to work on myself. I got to do prayer. I got to do meditation. I got to reach out. I got to talk. I got to share my story. I got to let my pain out. I got to, you know, be open, honest and thorough to the best of my ability. I got to change. I got to, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So you're just going to stay stuck. And, uh, in time, in time, and when you give yourself time, you you do get this this you, the, the gift just keeps flourishing. And I, I remember two years ago when I first uh, when Julie and I first separated, I moved back. I actually moved back home to my childhood home. My grandfather had moved into uh, a senior's home or into a um, uh, yeah assisted living, and uh, so I, he had an apartment underneath my mom. So I ended up living in my grand. I'm still in my grandfather's apartment because he told me I couldn't leave there for two years. So it's coming up on us two years of him passing away. But it, it was the so it was kind of is is really 2018 was like a real rough year for me. Julie and I separated in June. My in June 21st, my grandfather died July 21st. Um, and and it was the first time that uh, it was the first time that I watched death. I didn't run away from death. Uh, I stayed there with him. Um, you know, I remember sitting in, I remember like waking up going, I can't handle this anymore. And it was just too much pain. Right. And I was going to use, and I came down the stairs and there's always been these times and my grand grandmother's been passed away for 17 or 18 years, but I came into the living room and there's my grandmother sitting on the couch and, uh, you know, I'm like, whoa, and there's this hole still in my wall that I fixed from punching to see if I was alive. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, she, she said, you know, you got to be there for your grandfather. You weren't there for me. And I wasn't there for my grandmother. I was in active addiction back then. Uh, and she said, you know, he doesn't have a lot of time left. You got to be there for him. And then she just vanished. And uh, then that morning, that, then I went back to my wow. bed and I was like paralyzed for four hours. And I couldn't move. It was it was the weirdest. It was like this the spiritual awakening or, or something that was going on that I had never really you know, I've had a lot of spiritual awakenings and I've had a lot of I've had a lot of like these Baja moments, like okay, like the bus eleven, um, you know, these things these things, right? That people are watching yeah. out for me and uh yeah. that aren't here. And uh and mm-hmm. uh anyways I, I woke up and that next day I was supposed to do a podcast uh out of New York with, uh, and it was another podcast. And then I was supposed to speak with the kids at KLCA. Uh, and, uh, you know, I never, ever, ever, ever would take a time off of sharing the story. That's not what I would do. Right. And it's, it's very important for me to share the story, but that day I actually called said I had to cancel the podcast called and I went and hung out with my grandpa all day and, and just lied on the bed with him while he was, you know, barely breathing. And, um, you know, the most important part there is that my grandfather got his grandson back for 10 years of complete sobriety. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I, I felt at peace, you know, when he passed away, I felt at peace and, uh, it was a different thing. I was right there. I was holding his hand and, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was sad, mad, angry, frustrated, disappointed. I was just at peace that I did the right thing. And that's recovery. Recovery is doing the right thing over and over again. And if you do the right thing over and over again, it's not insanity repeating the same mistakes over and over again. You get good results um, and you become a better person um, through change. And uh, I remember leaving there and, you know, my mother was with us, was with me. And, uh, you know, I said, Mom, I did the right thing. And uh, she said, yeah, you did. And it was like the first time in my life where I was like, wow, you know, I'm going through a whole bunch. I just went through a separation. I really don't know where this is going. I just want to see my kids. Oh, my God, my best friend just died. Now I'm living in his apartment, living in his room. I couldn't get any more closer to him. Um, you know, I was going through a whole bunch with the business at the time. My life was becoming unmanageable because I was just getting too much chaos coming my way and didn't really know how to deflect the pain or the anger and all that stuff, right? Um and, and sitting through that just made me realize what life truly was and uh, <clears throat> kind of brought me back and brought me back to being a, a sponsor in the program um, and having some sponsees and, and working with people again and uh, really appreciating what life is and what recovery is because it's a beautiful thing to watch somebody grow. It's a beautiful thing to watch somebody work through what they're working through, uh, you know, sometimes I feel selfish because I get more out of that than they get out of me, but it works both ways. Right. Uh, and, uh, it's hard you know, recovery, recovery is an amazing thing. Uh, you know, I, I am so blessed and so grateful that, uh, I hit my rock bottom. I love the fact that I hit my rock bottom and that it allowed me to do what it did to get me to where I'm going today. Um, you know, we all have to go through what we have to go through to get where we're going. And, uh, some of us are able to share our stories to help others get through what they're going through to get them to where they're going. And that's the strength in recovery. And yes. Uh, you, you have an amazing gift at telling um, an incredible story. And I, I, I'm like, I'm pretty much left speechless just because it's a really just incredible story. And, now, like you're showing how you continue to kind of th change with what's going on in the world by creating this recovery couple Facebook page um, with your girlfriend who's in recovery. And I, I mean, I just can't help but think about, you know, I, I could be wrong, but we're all quarantine we're all pretty much being told to stay at home stay at home and so couples are staying at home and maybe couples who drink or drink a little drink a lot one drinks more than the other maybe they're maybe they're reaching a bottom much quicker maybe they're they're questioning how much they're drinking maybe they're you know and you, this is such a, a beautiful beautiful venue to go to and and listen to you and your girlfriend, you know, a couple um, going through recovery together. I mean, I think it's just it's such a yeah, and that's kind of beautiful way to give that, back. That was kind of like, and, and that's you, you, you know, yeah. like I, I sprung an honor, and if she would have said no, I would have never done it. 
because uh, she she's 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 never done this before, right? She's never talked openly and honestly. Um, but but the thing about talking openly and honestly and having your story out there is a it's a form of accountability. So you get this accountability for yourself, and if you can have yep. this accountability for yourself, that means you can get through just about anything. So when you become accountable to yourself, all of a sudden other people feel that accountability, right? And then it gives them the hope, gives them the hope right? So I was yeah. like, you know, this would be a beautiful thing for us to do in the right. middle of COVID, just like you said, isolation, quarantining, couples that are, you know, because I've heard of a bunch of couples break up through this. I've heard of, you know, some nasty things going on with the drugs and alcohol. I've heard of divorces happen even without the drugs and alcohol, just being stuck yeah. with each other. And, you know, I was like, Ashley, this is a really, you know, you got to think about this from a giving back point of view. And this is how I am. You know, it's not about you, Ashley, and it's not about me. It's about the person that's struggling. And if we can give back, that's recovery. That's the gift. And, you know, let's let's do this thing and, and see what happens. And Ashley did her first one, and uh, she was really nervous. Then she did her second one. And then she's like, holy cow, there's already four or 500 people watching us. And I'm like, well, I told you. I told you that because you are a female now yeah, that has a voice yeah. and is, you know, Every day you're sharing a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit honest, a little bit more, a little bit more. You're showing that, you know, recovery is possible. You're showing that, you know, in early recovery, there's still some faults and that you're going to make mistakes. But then you tell the truth about it. And Ashley just went through a series of events that almost pushed her to using. And, you know, I let her work through that. And uh, I didn't go to the rescue because there's a fine line between uh, enabling and helping. And uh, you can go really south on the border of enabling. And as an addict and alcoholic, we like to use that in our advantage. So we can enable somebody really well to keep them sick. And then it keeps us sick. And then you can go on the south of the border of really helping too much where now you're like, you know, so it's a fine line. Um, But she, she figured it out on her own. And then she called and she told me exactly what was going on. And what she realized is that she, you know, because she's been in abusive relationships before that she, you know, you talk to me when I tell you to talk kind of thing. Um, And uh, here she is telling me her pains and her truths. And she's, you know, saving her life through sharing her story and not getting yelled at about it. And. Yeah. Yeah. What, what courage, what courage, especially in yeah. such, she's so early, not even a year in recovery. And, and that takes tremendous courage, especially I know, cause, cause I'll just, before yep. we wrap this up, cause we're at the hour now, but I, I did, I, 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 I'm blown away that she is able to do that. I would love to, to meet her and talk to her and, and maybe jump on one of your live, you know, feeds or, or I'll just watch you and comment. But, um, you know, during, there is so much shame. I know for myself, I had so much shame about being an alcoholic in the beginning. And then when I learned and I grew and I worked the steps and I became more confident and I, and I changed just like you were changing and you were starting to look at yourself differently. I was looking at myself differently and I was starting to love the things that I used to loathe about myself. And now, now like you talked about like, doing this to kind of have accountability but also it's it's also um jay you're you're paving the way to showing that there's no shame in getting sober like i i have to tell you that i it is one of the most it's one of the most grateful things that i that that i experience that i can i 
I don't have any shame about the fact that I'm a recovering alcoholic because I know that I had to work my ass off to get to this place, but I did, you know, I did have to ask for help. I did need help. I had to surrender. I had to let go of my will and my ego, just like you talked about. And that there, and I, and the message that I'd love to be able to give the listeners is that surrendering is not a weakness. You know, when we surrender and we let people help us because things are just not going the right way, we're going, we're trying to kill ourselves. We're going to jail. We're, you know, we're, whatever it is that we're doing, that's just not good behavior, you know, that we're asking for help and we're, we're letting people help us and we're, we're working our butts off. That is something to be admired. And that's why I have this podcast as well to, to really put a spotlight on the people who have the the courage to get sober and stay sober and keep finding ways to stay sober. Like you're doing, like how you speak um, at the Salvation Army, the place that helps you to get to, to really that saved your life and that, you know, you're doing so much and taking every opportunity to, to help other people. Um, that inspires people. And, and, um, and I hope, it, I hope what comes across is that, that we, like you said earlier, we do recover. We do recover, and we do get a second chance of living the life of our dreams—a dr- a life that we maybe never imagined for ourselves. So, I mean, would you imagine that you would ever do a TED talk or be on TV or anything like that, or ha- have be a, have a successful, you know, um, restaurant? No, and, and no, I do what no, you're doing right never, now. Never. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that? you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I really realized it, you know, cause it's always me, 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 right. And once I figured out when you turn me around, it's we, right. So turn me upside down. That's we, right. And that's, yeah. we can do this together instead of me, me, yep. me, me. And when I'm doing me, 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 I'm all by myself and I can't do anything. But when I turn me upside down, it's we, and we can do this together. And we, the ones with the voices can get out there to the people that are, sitting at home alone or in isolation or feel the shame you talk about. Cause I felt that shame. I felt the loneliness. I felt nobody wanted to be like me. I felt I was the only one, all those things, but we can bring our voices to the people that need to hear our voices in order for them to open up and talk with their voices so that they can help other people also. And, uh, you know, that's just the, it's just, it's, you know, I love recovery. Uh, I love, I love everything about recovery I love my ups and downs. I love my failures. I love my successes. I love my trials and tribulations. I love all my relationships. I would never be where I am today without the thousands and thousands of people that have helped me over 12 and a half years. Uh, Cause this is not about me. Uh, it's also about everybody else. That's always helped me um, get me to where I'm going. And um, every opportunity that I've ever had to share my story is not about me. It's about helping somebody else and the people that have helped me along the way um it's not a it's it's you know it's just it's a great message wow yes it is it's a beautiful message and we all have stories to tell and um it when we get that opportunity and knowing that we're helping people which i'm pretty sure you're going to do and with your story today um and for the days to come is that you know that that it can inspire somebody to to ask for help Awesome. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Ah, beautiful. Thank you so much, Jay. It's been a pleasure You're welcome. to talk to you and hear your story. Yeah, bye thank now. Thank you so much. 
Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it.